View, what's up? How are we doing tonight? We okay? Awesome, man. Well, listen, thanks for coming. Glad you guys are here. I know we've said it a bunch. I think it's just fun to say, though. It's the first view of the decade. Yo, that's wild. Um, but uh, if you haven't met me yet, and this is your very first time, matter, matter of fact, can we just go ahead and give it up for all of our first-time guests? In the if it's your very first time, and we're excited you're here. My name is Jared. I get the privilege of pastoring here uh, at City Hope Church. We're just a bunch of crazy people that believe that Jesus still does miracles. So... Uh, and if that's not you, and you're like, man, I don't think Jesus really does miracles anymore, uh, wait till th- tonight is over, okay? <laughs> it just may happen. So look, uh, glad you're here. We're kicking off this year right. And, and listen, uh, what I love to say at the beginning of every semester that we have, View, is, and this message will fall right in line with that, is that View is not an experience. It's not a service. It's not a moment of excitable worship. It's not good messages and really cool graphics and Tyler, the Creator songs, which don't belong in church. I didn't even know that that was there. But um, that's not what it, this is. This is a process where we learn to love Jesus more and more. And more. This is discipleship. And it doesn't happen by you coming in here every Wednesday night. It happens by you falling in love with Jesus, being a part of a local church, and diving into your word and allowing God to change you from the inside out. And for us, I don't see that happening outside of the context of small groups, okay? Like, if you're like, yo, I go to View, uh, not really unless you're in a small group. So if you're like, yo, I go to View, I've been here since 2012, okay? We weren't even around. But, but you've never been in a small group. How do we know you? How do we know you? How can we help grow you? It's hard to do that in 60 minutes uh, on a Wednesday night, but it's easy to do that when you're invested in relationships. So let me encourage you. In two weeks, sign up for a small group. That's the massive response tonight. Like Even if you give your life to Jesus, my, my hope is that you join a small group, okay? And then secondly, if you feel like God's leading you to start a group, See us at the square. My wife is actually over all of our small groups because she's that awesome, right? She's mama, she's a photographer, and she runs our small groups, and she's a preacher. She's just great. Uh, she wants to help you out and, and, and figure out what that looks like leading a small group. So glad you guys are in the building. Let's jump into tonight. Um, tonight, uh, we're, we're, I'm speaking on a topic that I felt passionate about. Like, this is what we have to start the year off. It's going to set the tone for the entire year. I believe this. Uh, And I usually do a message at the beginning of every year that's like, this is my heart for this year. This is my heart for our people. But uh, this one's even bigger for me. Like, the burden for this one is even more massive because this one really ties into what I believe that God's doing uh, for the next 10 years, especially with this generation. You've heard it a lot. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're not uh, connected in church circles enough to have heard this, but a lot of people, a lot of church leaders, a lot of pastors uh, are saying things like, man, this 2020 is a definable decade for the church. Like God's going to do stuff in the church that he's never done before, which is it's such an easy thing to do because God always does new things. I love when people say, I'm like, yeah, that's not prophetic. That's just normal, right? But God's going to do something he's, ne- he's never done before, right? Uh, and and I, I'm hearing this, and they're also saying, man, there's a revival around the corner. There's a revival in this generation, talking about you guys. There's a revival in Generation uh, Z. There's, there, there's just something that God's stirring up. It's going to be incredible. You just need to grab on because this is going to rock people's world. I know Passion talked a lot about it. If you went to Passion, can I get a whoop whoop? Passion Conference, they talked a lot about it. Like, yo, this is our time. The church is going to go for all this stuff that I love. 
But as God has put it on my heart, all of that, while it's good, while it's great, is impossible without this word. It's impossible without the, Look, the church does not advance unless its people have vision. Now, I grew up, and if you grew up in church, you're like me. If you didn't grow up in church, you can just kind of sympathize with me right now. But I grew up uh, hearing about church and businesses alike. And when we talk about vision, it usually comes from one guy, right? The leader has the vision. And if you're a leader with great vision, if you can cast vision, people get behind it. And if you say it and it's loud enough, it's big enough, it's catchy enough, it catches on, you repeat it enough, and boom, vision happens. It's so good. Everybody has the vision and it's awesome. And every, everything and everybody has a vision, right? View has a vision. City Hope Church has a vision. Uh, local Sound has a vision, which is just to be incredible worship leaders, right? That, that was incredible what they just did. Um, Jared, that, that meant that y'all were just okay. Only like 12 people clap. It's fine. <laughs> what I'm saying basically is oftentimes the people get the vision after the leader receives it. And, and as I study the New Testament, I don't find that to be how God works vision out. Like if I'm being honest, that, that's an inherently Old Testament thought, right? Because if you look at the Old Testament, Moses goes up to the mount, gets the vision of the Ten Commandments, then comes down and tells all the people, right? That happened. True? False. True? Yeah. It's true. And Ezekiel, when, when God tells Ezekiel, hey, I'm going to show you this vision of all the dry bones, prophesy over them, breathe life into them, and let's watch them come up and come alive. It's incredible. And then this is a metaphor, Ezekiel, for what you're going to do to the nation of Israel. Tell them that I have not left them. I will breathe life into a broken nation, right? He's, it's given to a leader. He goes and tells the people. However, in the New Testament, Jesus comes bringing a new covenant, and I see vision differently. In the Old Testament, I, talk, I, I hear it talked about often, the, the vision or the will of God for a nation, and it's usually the nation of Israel. This is God's will for this nation. But in the New Testament, this is what I hear often. This is God's will for your life. So tonight, I want to talk about vision, but not views vision. I want to talk about your vision. I want to talk about what it means to have a God-given vision for your life. And I really believe if we connect to this, the revival that we're all talking about, yearning for, asking God for, I believe if we catch this principle, and it is a slight perspective shift, if we catch this, I really believe that the revival that we've all been talking about, asking God for, is going to happen. Y'all with me? So if you forgot the rules of view, let me just let you know. Uh, during messages, we're rowdy, okay? So like, so listen, if you hear something you like, you can say amen. I love that. You can clap, uh, whatever you want. You can run up and down the aisles. It's kind of, I mean, sure. I mean, but like, I'm not going to be up here for too long. I just want to share some things with you. Let's make this exciting. This is not a sad, somber message. God is bringing freedom into this place. Is anybody else okay with that tonight? Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We just ask that um, you welcome yourself into this place. We are already here. We felt your Holy Spirit. We know that you're already moving. Bring miracles upon the people that need it. God, use this generation to father a revival. Jesus, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Father, we love you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Uh, anybody in here uh, love Grey's Anatomy? 
Anybody love Grey's Anatomy? All right. Some angry boyfriends in here. It's like we watch Grey's Anatomy more than we talk or FaceTime. Uh, my wife is, is, is one of the many women who are obsessed with Grey's Anatomy. Like, that's like her thing. Uh, she only has Netflix to watch Grey's Anatomy, okay? Um, and she watches so much Grey's Anatomy that, that uh, it, it's not that I like Grey's Anatomy because I genuinely don't. I think it's kind of boring. I think it's elongated. There's too many things. And, and the storylines are so, like, crazy, to be honest. Like, how do they die in a plane crash? Twice. Like, like what? Like... <laughs> Help me figure this out. Um, so I, I'm not saying I like Grey's Anatomy, but here's the thing. Here's what Grey's Anatomy does a good job of. They draw you in in Grey's Anatomy. Like you just want, you watch one episode, you're like, I want to know everything. <laughs> and, and I don't actually watch the episodes. I just come in and out of the show. And I'm, the, I'm the, like the annoying person that like asks 50 million questions. Or like, like hey, did Derek die yet? Or, I heard that on Google. Like what? Wait, Meredith adopted a black girl? Like, like that's, that's progressive. This is crazy. Like, my favorite is Maggie. I love Maggie. I always want good things to happen to Maggie because she's so feisty. She's mean, but she's real smart. Uh, but it, it makes my wife real mad because oftentimes I'll ask, like, hey, what's about to happen to so-and-so character, oh, who died, oh, that's her daddy, that's crazy, that's her daddy's daddy, this is what, and my wife is just trying to enjoy the show, she's frustrated with me, because all I want is the satisfaction of knowing what happens in the end, is anybody else with me, okay, hopefully all my fellas, like, I don't love this show, but I do want to know what happens, okay, give me, give me an update, um, and this frustrates my wife, because I, I don't take the time to soak in and experience the 3,000 seasons of Grey's Anatomy. I, oftentimes, I, I feel like this is kind of how we treat God's vision for our life, right? We're not as interested, or, or, or we don't desire his actual plan. We just want to skip ahead to know our future. Like, like it's asked of me often, Pastor Jared, I just want to know what God has for my life. Translation to what most young people really mean. Pastor Jared, I want to know if I get that good job. I want to know if I make decent money. I want to know if I meet a soulmate because that's what life's about, okay? I want to know if I'm important. I want to know if I get more Instagram followers. I want to know if I grow in my, in my, my ability to speak to people. And I want to know if I'm famous. Like, I know God's got big plans for my life, so, so could you just tell me how to figure it out? Nobody's actually interested, though, in the steps that God gives us to understand and recognize his vision for our life. We just want to know how it ends. And here's my heart, because here's what the Bible does a good job of, and we're going to read it in a second. The Bible is very clear on how you can discern God's will for your life. Like, this is a message college pastors have been preaching for eons, right? This is what we do. We preach on God's will for your life. But it shouldn't be a message because the Bible makes it so abundantly clear. I'm going to preach from one passage of Scripture, but there's so many Scriptures in the New Testament. This is the will of God. Yeah, but Pastor Jared, that's not enough. Like, what actually is my will, right? What I want to show you is what Scripture says about God's vision for your life. So if you brought your Bibles or if you didn't, no big deal, um, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. 
We're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Here's what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view... Hey, (laughs) thank you, Paul. (laughs) Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to go to view. (laughs) In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's important. So this is Paul writing, and he says, I urge you to offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, if you're weirded out about what that means, we're not talking about laying yourself on an altar and sacrificing yourself to God. We're going to explain it. Um, he means, he, Paul's very poetic, right? He was a great writer. So uh, that's not what we're talking about, but I'll explain it just a little bit. It says, uh, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So both holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Keep going. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be trans. This is the one everybody knows, but be transformed. And if you read the King James Version, what does it say? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will. Wait, that's confusing. We preach so many messages when the Bible is very, very clear. So if you do all of these things, then you'll be able to test and approve, wait, what God's will is. That's crazy. You're telling me I've been praying, I've been fasting, I've been asking God about everything, and I could have just done those one, two, three steps? This is out of this world, right? The Bible makes clear a problem that we continually struggle with. Sound familiar? So The Bible says if you do all these things, then you're going to be able to test and approve. The problem is most people just read that first part. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing your mind. It's trouble is the Bible keeps writing. It says, then you're going to be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and what? Perfect will. No mistakes in this will. See, these are such practical steps that the Bible talks about. Offering up yourself as a sacrifice, and then obviously not being conformed to the patterns of this world, and then transformed by the renewing of your mind. These are practical steps, but here's the truth. They are surefire ways to lead you to God's perfect vision and will for your life. Here's why that's important. I said it earlier, man. View has a vision. Uh, companies have vision. Churches have vision. But here's what you need to know. Our vision for our things will never be greater than God's vision for his people. Our vision for the things that we lead, the the, the stuff that we do. I love you. There's hundreds of people in here. This is crazy. My vision is that God keeps saving young people. Right. That's great, Pastor Jared. But your vision for view will never be greater than God's vision for his people. Make it personal. God's vision for his person. This is important that you catch this. And here is how we collectively begin to understand what God's will is. So let's start at the beginning. The first uh, part of of verse 1 says, uh, offer yourself up. Offer your bodies up as a living sacrifice. Now that word sacrifice has a lot of connotation, especially uh, because we're in the New Testament. But it ties back a lot to this Old Testament thing that used to happen and then eventually uh, what Jesus came to bring. So quick Old Testament lesson. Um, 
Back in the day, what they would do, the nation of Israel, uh, when they would sin, when they would mess up, the way they would make amends, they couldn't just like go in their prayer closet and repent, cry, say, Lord, I'm sorry, and then everything's good again, right? They couldn't do that. They had to kill and sacrifice an animal, something special and valuable to them. Because what you need to understand about Old Testament culture is that it was an agriculture society, right? Everything revolved around farming. So when you killed an animal simply because you said a couple of bad words when you stubbed your toe, that hurt, right? It's losing your livelihood. That, that, that makes the cussing jar go way further, right? Like, that means so much more. But what would happen is you... You literally would have to sacrifice something important to you, something of value, and it would be the sacrifice, and it wouldn't be perfect, but it would work. It would suffice because that was the, the system that God allowed the Israelites to use. But then enter Jesus. See, here's the brilliant thing about Jesus. He wasn't blemished like those animals. There was nothing wrong with Jesus. There was no imperfection in Jesus. He was perfect. So finally, he was the realist sacrifice of all time. And since he was perfect, he came to earth to die for your sins. So what he did was he offered his life up as a sacrifice so that in return you could gain his righteousness. Let me say that again. You didn't catch that. I'll say it slower, okay? He offered up his life so that in return you could catch his righteousness and call it your own. That's a massive point as it pertains to the scripture, because what God is asking you to do as a result is, okay, Jesus offered himself up as a living sacrifice uh, and then eventually was killed on the cross, but he rose again. Now, what I'm calling you to do as people that follow Jesus is to follow in his footsteps and now offer yourself up as a living sacrifice and metaphorically die on a cross as well. What's that cross? Your will. God's calling you to die to every one of your desires and in return, capture Jesus's. You know why it's hard oftentimes to resist temptation? Because we haven't fully died to ourselves. We're not living as sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. We still have a couple of things that are lingering. And what's really stopping us is not that temptation is too strong. It's that we haven't died yet. But if you want to understand the will that God has for your life, your first step, your first step, and you need to understand this, your first step is to give up your life. You've got to give your life away. It can't be yours in, anymore. Jesus has to be at the center, but Jesus has to be in control. Offering yourself up as a sacrifice looks like you giving your life completely away to something totally different than what you've been adhering to. So that's my first point. Give your life away. Here's the second point. This one's a little bit more uh, cultural. You'll understand this and you'll get this one. Second point, don't fit in. Don't, don't fit in. I remember when I was, uh, I was growing up, so I, w I was a confused little kid, and I say little kid, I'm talking about like high school, okay? Um, I was confused in high school because uh, I played uh, three sports, and then I, I ended up giving up football, and I only played basketball and baseball in high school, but I was an athlete, so all of my friends were athletes, and it, it was great, but around junior year, I, I started listening to uh, uh, 
this is embarrassing. I started listening to Linkin Park. Uh, and <laughs> the reason, <laughs> never shared this before. Don't at me. I listened to Linkin Park because it was close enough to rap, right? It, it had a little bit of hip-hop in it. Yeah, they were rapping. This is not actually rock and roll. It was, and then after Linkin Park kind of took me over, I started venturing into more, uh, more indie rock type stuff. I was listening to like uh, Arcade Fire, The Shins. Like, like it just got a little bit crazier. And I started, I started learning how to play guitar and drums, right? So I was like, yo, man, this is kind of dope. And then I, I, I met uh, uh, on the internet, a guy, I, I totally renounce his music now, but I, I met a dude named Kid Cudi, and he showed me, uh, he showed me that it was okay to be uh, black and wear skinny jeans, okay? And I was like, yo, this dude is swag. Like, this is awesome. Changed my mind. I don't want to play any rap. I want to be a rapper. Like, this is, you know, this is crazy. Um, so I started this, like, hip-hop fusion indie rock band, and we were really, really bad, uh, but I love uh, Kid Cudi, and so, but, but at the time, this was like 2007 or 8, so they didn't make dude skinny jeans yet, right? It like wasn't a thing, uh, because either you were like FUBU or My Chemical Romance, like there was nothing in between. <laughs> so I went to Hot Topic and bought girl skinny jeans. <laughs> and the thing about girl skinny jeans is the pockets are so shallow, how do y'all do that? I mean, like, I mean, like, my knuckle can fit in there. <laughs> so I bought him one day, and I, I, I rode up to school thinking I looked like Kid Cudi. I didn't, okay? I didn't. I'm not a small guy. Like, my thighs, are, like, it just didn't work, okay? So I roll up. All of my friends in basketball practice made fun. They made me dress outside of the, the varsity locker room. Like, I was in the other part of the locker room dressing because I was wearing Hot Topic skinny jeans. And they were just like, bro, this is not going to fly for the team. This messes up chemistry. Like, you can't wear this. I'm talking, when I say they made fun of me, th th that is the, the nicest way to put it, okay? But they gave me so much grief. I threw those things in the furthest part of my attic. And the next day, I was wearing FUBU again, Okay. <laughs> But it was tough for me because, like, I just wanted to fit in. I just wanted to be one of the guys, right? I didn't want to be different. I didn't want to stand out. I just I wanted to fit in. I feel like oftentimes this is what we do with God's call on our life. He gives us this specific calling that may look a little bit different than the people around us. But as soon as one of those people who do look a little bit different than us begin to disapprove and voice their disapproval and Oh, you're holier than now. You're a, a good attitude. Oh, you stop doing that now. Oh, real? Yeah, you're fake. You're, you're not this anymore. You're two-faced. You, yeah, you, don't, you can't change. Yeah, I've had Jesus before. Not. Oh, so you're real? Uh, no, 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 you're not. And the minute they begin to do that, we start to feel insecure. Like, hey, you may, maybe this isn't real. You're right. Maybe I don't have to do all that. Maybe it was just a feeling. Maybe it was just a moment. Maybe it was just a worship song. I don't really believe this stuff anyway. I'm back with my friends now. And what begins to happen is a lot like me when I took those skinny jeans off and threw them away, we began to take the reflection of who God has called us to be. We take it off and put on something that looks a little bit better for the people that are around us. Why is fitting in so important to us? I'm not sure, but Romans 12 addresses it. It says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. If you want to know God's will for your life, you're going to have to follow that scripture. Some of you guys are in here going, man, I don't know what God wants me to do. 
don't know what degree I'm supposed to choose. I don't know what friends I'm supposed to have. And my thought is, maybe you don't know, maybe you don't know God's will for your life because you're not willing to represent him long enough. You're so focused on, man, I can't figure out. Yeah, why would God give you a vision when you can't respond and reflect an image? I'm going to let that one sit and saturate. Don't fit in. It's not worth it. And according to Scripture, this is not Pastor Jarrett preaching up a storm here. This is just Scripture. If you are still obsessed with looking like culture instead of Jesus, you're not living God's plan for your life. Like, yo, that's fine. I'm not condemning you. I know there's plenty of people in here who tomorrow night are going to go kill it at Pat's downtown. That's fine. Look, I'm not looking down on you. I will still dab you up. You can come to the house. We can be cool. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not saying what I am saying, though, is don't come in crying, asking, how, did, how does my life fit in God's vision and God's plan? Well, my question to you is, how do you fit in his image? Like, if you want to know God's plan for your life, you've got to get a vision of God first. And when he reveals himself to you, Things are going to be completely different. Y'all backstage, I can hear y'all. Y'all calm down. Here's my third point. It says, be renewed. Be renewed. So we're still in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, listen, we just talked about it. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but what? Be ye transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. Let's pause right here because here's what I want you to see. Uh, in this idea of it renewing our mind. Look, the crazy thing about that word renewing is that it only happens like this in a couple of different uh, passages, most notably Titus. But every other time, other than this one, that it's talking about this connotation in the original translation, it's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. Similar translation in Titus, it talks about the same thing. The Holy Spirit does the renewing work. But also a scripture most of you guys know, 1 Corinthians 5.17, what does it say? 1 Corinthians 5.17, somebody hit me with it. Huh? Behold, I will make a what? A new creation. That same word, new, you can't make yourself new. The Holy Spirit comes in and does this work. This is Holy Spirit work. Now, I know for some of you guys that may be foreign to the gospel, this is something that you can't do on your own. Basically, you need God's help. There's this story in Acts chapter 2. And uh, if you haven't heard of the story in Acts chapter 2, let me just go ahead and give you uh, the quick cliff notes for this. Uh, the passage of Scripture is called the Day of Pentecost. And what happens at the Day of Pentecost is that uh, there's, it says 3,000 believers receive Jesus, but scholars say before the Word of God is preached, before the Word of God goes forth, there's actually only 120 believers gathered. That's about this section. And a mighty move of the Spirit comes upon them. And the Holy Spirit descends. The Bible describes it looked like tongues of flames in the air, thunder roared, and the Holy Spirit rested on people. It's a crazy vision, right? It's nuts. 
And then the Holy Spirit revealed himself to their pastor, Peter, who was there. And Peter revealed to all of them the vision that God had given them. Ain't wrong. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended on every single one of the people that were standing there. So you're telling me that the 12 disciples who had spent the most time with Jesus out of anybody, it didn't even start with them. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit came down and the same vision was on every single person. And what's wild is if you study this scripture in Acts chapter 2, what's crazy is uh, they follow the same pattern as Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Let me tell you how it happened. So the first one is offer up yourself as living sacrifices. So give yourself away. Well, if you continue to read and understand what this is happening, what's happening here and what this is looking like, all the people that were gathered had sold everything that they had and, and came to this one place to wait for a move of God. They gave up their old lives. They said, I want a new life. You can have it, Jesus. I'm just waiting on a move. I'm just hungry for a move. So they followed Paul's plan. They gave up themselves uh, as living sacrifices. And then if you read in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says when the Holy Spirit descended upon them, the nearby people that were viewing this event, the Bible says that those people began to heckle God's people. It said that they they were saying stuff like, oh, this ain't the Holy Spirit. They're just drunk. (laughs) I've been drinking. Too much wine, they called it. So they didn't fit inside of their mold of who they felt like they needed them to be. So they began to make fun of them. Oh, wait, so then the people of God offered up themselves as living sacrifices and they didn't fit in? So you're telling me the Holy Spirit works the same oftentimes? Here's the last thing that they did. They were renewed. What did I tell you that word renew usually ties to? The work of the Holy Spirit Well, what happened in that moment was that the Holy Spirit came down and renewed all these people. The Bible said that they began to speak in tongues of languages that they didn't even know or understand. So you're telling me a group smaller than the size of the people in this room with true, honest vision from God flipped the world upside down, birthed a church, and saw Jesus move in a world like nobody else had seen before. So you're telling me that if we catch a vision for God, if we catch his vision for who he's called us to be, you're telling me we could see a move like that? The plan is simple. The plan is simple. Here's the truth. Does view have a vision? Yes. Yes, we have a vision. We have a mission, more importantly. But here's the truth. We exist. We exist to make sure you know and fulfill God's vision for your life. It's not about one preacher's vision to go and change the world and everybody else follows suit. It's about God's people catching the unity of a vision that he places. Because here's the thing. If I give you the vision, you could just say it's Jared's vision. But what if we wake up and all of us have the same vision? That's the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm tired of? I'm tired of people. I don't know why this is always Christians. But I'm tired of people saying, God, uh, Pastor Jared, God told me that I was going to preach in front of thousands. Pastor Jared. 
Pastor Jerry, I'm supposed to go to Africa. Those are the only two visions I ever hear. I'm like, I know God is more creative than the only two visions being speaking in front of thousands or Africa, right? Here's the truth about visions and prophecies like that. Again, that feels so Old Testament because it's about one person. I want to hear more visions about what you believe God can do through his people. Listen to me. The most important thing you need to understand about vision is that this thing, this movement of God, what you're a part of is so much bigger than the part you play. It's not about what we can do. It's about what God can do with us. And if we begin to catch God's vision for our life, who knows what we can accomplish through the help of the Holy Spirit? I believe that. Every head bowed, every eye closed.